Hello everybody and welcome to the technical area, your weekly football manager podcast brought to you by me, your host, Gaffer Graymo once again. For many, domestic football is returning this weekend. The complaint about international football will end until next year. We have European club football returning right across the continent. While in Ireland, the league is reaching its conclusion. We could have had a champion declared tonight in Shamrock Rovers, but unfortunately that pesky COVID has managed to interfere and postpone the next couple of matches for Rovers. So instead now focus turns to my beloved, not my local team, that are Rovers, but my beloved Shelburne. And hopefully an avoidance of relegation by them over the next couple of games. I think a touch of FM old dog magic might certainly be needed to, you know, just keep things going. But certainly we can't be complaining with uh, Morrow in charge. In an FM sense, FM20 is still continuing, though FM21 is, you know, starting to, you know, show its edges that the we're kind of starting to see glimpses of that dawn that it's bringing. But FM20 is still keeping me company during these darkening evenings. And hopefully, coming soon, I'll have a successful conclusion as well. In terms of the save update, I don't know if you're keeping track of Twitter and blogs at the minute, but just to give you kind of a brief synopsis, yesterday and t- today I've released two blog posts. Yes, this one's going to focus on Matthias Palacios. The Argentinian who I'm shaping to become the latest Trek Artista to play for Juventus. And then today's blog post was just kind of a save update because I managed to reach Christmas. And just quickly, I'm going to give you a brief overview, not to spoil the blog post, but things are going pretty well. We've had a strong showing in the league. The Champions League will continue because we've made it through to the knockout stages. And then the Coppa Italia will begin, of course, just after Christmas with a trip to Brescia, I think, or Brescia are coming to us either way it's Brescia first up so interesting challenges tough challenges coming ahead but I wouldn't want to finish FM20 any other way by winning a trophy I've never won before and that's something that's really really kind of keeping me going but I suppose the week this week it's not really about FM20 and what's going on and people saves too much because of course we have had the teaser trailer and then, of course, we had the Spencer own video that released last night. Now, I know normally record on a Thursday. I have watched the Spencer own video. If you haven't checked it, go on and check it out. Because it goes into a few things in a little bit more detail. I'm not sure what I'm... I, I haven't given much thought to what I saw last night. I wasn't exactly able to spend too much time and process what I'd seen there too much, but... Just going to go through a few reactions, few kind of a bit of a breakdown of that teaser trailer that came out, that minute long one or so. So we have new images for condition on the squad screen. So it's kind of a heart shape, so it'll be green, yellow, orange, red, I presume. Kind of indicating a player's level of fitness. And sharpness kind of has this thumbs up, kind of a thumbs down kind of a, an appearance. To be honest, me personally, I'm not sure. The wheels, I think we're very, very simple for me i kind of like that wheels the wheel of progress the wheel of fortune then of course i always did expand that column just enough so i could see the numbers as well so 
hopefully the option to expand and see the numbers is there because I do like the numbers a little bit more than these kind of thumbs up thumbs down kind of graphic-y things and the hearts where they just kind of feel a little bit arbitrary where I suppose with the circle I suppose it's very you could you could kind of very very clearly see what was there in front of you the recruitment re meeting of course coming up so it's interesting now that you can select targets for your recruitment team to go and find so it could be for a certain formation so as i could help you build your tactical planning if you're looking to change shape in a season if you're building for promotion it could be like that certain the targets to find players who may be suitable to help your squad step up a level and then with the team reports kind of coach reports staff reports kind of filtering in there as well kind of adding to player depth and showing needs that the squad might have and future needs I suppose it's interesting that we're all kind of getting this condensed into one screen, which could be very, very handy if you ask me. Asking the agents about availability, of course, has gotten a lot of people talking, I know, and like, let's be honest, it does make sense, doesn't it? Because it's a realistic approach that teams do use. You often hear like players agreeing personal terms, agents being, you know, touting their players around behind clubs back and all this kind of thing. So I suppose it makes agents a bit more useful. However, of course, that could open a can of worms that we could see players becoming more unsettled in their squad because the agents have been sounded out in the background without your knowledge about a player being available and wanting to make the move. And then for us, if we use this method, could it increase the amount we're spending on agents' fees? And I know agents' fees are very, very topical with discussions that are going on in Premier League after that record spending um, transfer window we've just come through. So would be interesting to see what the way fees work there as well we do have a new interface for press conferences which has kind of a zoom kind of a look and feel to it where they're all spread across that gallery grid on the screen so interesting to see that the uh, working from home kind of template is working for football manager and SI there uh, pre-match prep seems to have a little bit of an interface tweak as well with team selection advice presented in a new way potentially i'm not sure there Either way, it's not something I do pay particular attention to that team advice. I tend to have a clear idea of what the team I'm picking is going in. Anyway, I'm sure a lot of people out there might agree. And actually, it be interesting here if there's anyone there who disagrees, who actually sees what the coaches have to say there. Body language and interaction with players, and that's replacing tone. I don't know what I think about that. Tone is going to be in something like, I've been this calm manager, I've been this passionate manager. So I suppose it's like just being relabeled now, I suppose, with your body language. But I suppose I'm looking to see if a mod can be put in there so I can see, or if it's even in the game, can I flip off a player? Can I show him the board if he's demanding to leave and I'm telling him where to go? Can I do these? Can I make these sort of gestures to players if I'm not particularly enjoying their, you know, their, their conduct, their candor? Can I really? XG is in Football Manager. Woohoo! Well, more on this next week, but it's really great to see we're delving into analytics and data even more. Interesting to see the Soy Soy Sports partnership there as well. The shot map with XG. So it's really interesting to see this because, of course, you might have a player who's an excellent player with long shots, who's a good long shot technical attribute. So it'll be interesting to see what the XG would be for them with their shots from distance compared to their, you know, their finishing from shorter range potentially. Match management seems to we seem to get this new team view along the bottom of the screen, and that little heart and the condition and level seems to be appearing, and the little kind of 
little box that each player kind of demands along the bottom of the screen with the role and the, the position they're playing in. So that'd be easy to kind of keep track of, especially when you're playing with the, the 3D match engine turned on, even the 2D one as well. The match view, of course, seems to be a little bit, um, getting a bit of a, a little bit of a, a fresh lick of paint. So we've, the samples we've seen has had the Bundesliga logo. So any licensed leagues, it seems we'll have the little logo up in the corner. The scoreboard, of course, is in the FM colours, so the white and purple. The actual screen itself seems to be brighter, so a bit more vibrant colours. We saw the chipped finish, which was, you know, really exciting to see new animations like that always creeping into the game. Where there's also potentially, as well, you know, um, these kind of new kind of little features around the pitch. I saw a cameraman kind of on the... You know, on, on the rotating the pivot camera, the, the ones you see around the edges of the pitch with a little bit of padding around them. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what other little tweaks and touches are put into the, the match screen and, the, you know, as well, that, that the, way, the way the game is represented. Then, of course, there's that kind of season review at the end of the moments to remember, which could be a nice touch if you've had a, a momentous season. But, you know, if you've had a fairly middling season, it's just... You know, hasn't really excited. You know, would we really be wanting to, to spend the time getting through? I, I, I don't know. But nonetheless, like, is FM21 going to be an incremental uh, development of FM20, which has been, many said, an incremental version of FM19? Yeah, potentially. Is there room for growth further along down the line through more significant patches? Possibly. But nonetheless, it is a new game. It is a new fresh start. Things will be different. Of course, there will be issues that always do creep up, like with um, you know, the three man, three central strikers. If you're chasing the goal, always seem to work. Or back post crosses, you can't defend them. Or back post set pieces. In order number goals, so there's always going to be issues, and there's always going to be you know little, little things that do pop up every now and again. But don't panic, don't worry, don't get frustrated. Be calm. Any issues, report them, and nonetheless, look, enjoy this game. It's an absolute. Miracle, absolute wonder that SI have been able to turn around and get a game out just before Christmas, given the fact that you know this year has been very challenging for like for them as much as it has been for us. They've been working from home. The collaboration must have been much more challenging. It must be more challenging to get things up online and working together to produce, you know, all the different facets that go into this game. So, really, a kudos to SI, and as a community, we have to remember that. You know, we have to show them the respect that, you know, they have managed to get this game out to us. If they've rushed it, we'll know. But don't panic. Don't worry. Just be, I suppose, don't lose the head, really. You know, that's the the most um, important thing I feel I can say coming up to FM21. Don't lose the head if the game isn't perfect, if it's a bit rough around the edges at the beginning. They always have been a little rough. There always have been little fading in issues and... This year, the fact we're getting FM21 before Christmas, I think, is absolutely outstanding. So let's just enjoy it for what it is as a community and work together with SI, reporting bugs in a calm, collected manner so that we can really kind of build this game up into being the next great installment and the next memorable game for all of us. Now, speaking of memorable games, we as managers have plenty of them in Football Manager. Whether it's from FM20 and those momentous games you may have had. 
or could even stretch back into the CM days, whether it was 0102 or as far back as those 93, 94 days. And I suppose if you ask any manager what their memorable games are, they would po- they could possibly pick a few from across their careers. And one manager I suppose we could get an interesting conversation from is the topic of this week's podcast, episode 42, the manager in focus, and that's Graham Potter. So, the Brighton manager is the focus of the pod this week. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there kind of thinking, looking back through the managers who have devoted a bit of time to across the last 41 episodes, they're saying, well, why Graham Potter? And I suppose I'm going to be 100% honest here, and I have been impressed with him. He has really impressed me with how he's taken to management in England with Brighton, and even with Swansea before that in the Championship as well. His tactical philosophy has impressed me. And I suppose that's really kind of come in since I first became aware of him when he was at Ostersons, having gotten up to the Europa League. I'm sure there's many who, like me, became aware of um, Graham Potter at that time as well. And I'm sure that there's those guys out there who are a bit more clued in and have been aware of him rising up through the ranks and yes, through the ranks up there with Ostersons to see them rise to this level. Well, and they saw it coming well before the rest of Europe did. But any time I've seen Graham Potter, I heard Graham Potter speak or, you know, seen him talking about his tactics and the like, he's come across very, very well to me. He's impressed me as a genuine manager who invests himself in the club and ensuring that the club and the players he has in his squad, they represent the community in which they are based. At Ostersons, we saw examples of this from Christmas plays, concerts and participating in various community activities. But not only does Potter develop his players on the pitch, but he develops them as people and he brings them together as a team as well. And even to an extent that his mannerisms in some ways remind me of Jurgen Klopp. That charismatic manager we've all come to know who's been celebrated all across Europe. But there's an intelligence, a calmness and a passionate love of the club he's representing with Graham Potter and that's something that really I suppose draws me in I wonder if it's drawn the fans of Brighton in as well so as we get into Graham Potter now we are we're all aware of his time at Brighton he's in the second season there he replaced Chris Hewton at the club's helm he came to Brighton of course on the back of that successful spell at Ostersons bringing the club from the fourth division all the way up to the European levels at uh, the Europa League and then of course you know he's got plenty of admiration with Swansea as well and he's brought that same style that same philosophy all the way with him to the Premier League via that stop off with that season at Swansea I know FM Old Dog was a disappointed to see that he has left but overall Graham Potter's philosophy has very it, it, it's, it's very very interesting to see how tactically flexible he is and tactically flexible at a club that you know, Chris Hewton had this dogged approach, this pragmatic approach, and in the same way I suppose Swansea and Bournemouth have had in previous years during their times in the Premier League, we're seeing Brighton now develop into this football playing side. And if you watch Brighton closely during a game, you'll see that during a game they can often use a vast array of shapes and systems. And that's something that Potter has, you know, utilised all the way back to his Ostersons days, helping the club. This approach is flexible to rise from the fourth division all the way up to the Europa League. 
where the teams are so flexible and so tuned in and so tactically well drilled it's you'd often see multiple systems and shapes used in the one match now sorry just before i keep going here i have done my research i have spent some time reading up and watching and listening about graham potter the links to all the articles the videos all that will be found down below a lot of the information i'm going to use here will of course be based on the the, the places that all these kind of sources here so if you want to delve in a little bit more you want to see where i got my information from all these facts all these ideas go check them out below because there's some really 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 interesting reads interesting watches and i would highly recommend if you are interested in you know seeing if there's any aspect of graham potter's philosophy his approach that you could you know bring into your own style of playing football manager or even you know try to mimic yourself going forward but one of the things that excites me graham potter is and this is a direct quote is that he wants his players to be brave players that aren't afraid to make mistakes that can get on the ball and show courage and really try to enjoy their football if the players aren't enjoying their football there's a chance that supporters will enjoy it as well and that's how you grow and develop as a club so there's a lot in there to take in you're looking at bravery this but good decision making because they're not afraid to make mistakes they've got the determination there players who can get on the ball show courage and try to enjoy what they're doing players are enjoying their football supporters will grow as well so you've got support you've got cohesion you're building up this positivity and morale around the club which is is a part of the manager's job to create this positive vibe and it's something we do have to create in the game as well the positive atmosphere in the stadium the key tenets of graham potter's philosophy are simple to press with forwards press with forwards and have an organized and compact low block to force the opposition to play long where you are defensively set up to use this to your advantage where so if the opposition tried to play through the pitch your low block lines will look to create numerical supremacy and give you the advantage to reclaim possession and turn it back on the opposition graham potter's sides like to build from the back to pass through the lines to play with risk and focus on shorter passing over direct balls where players are given the freedom to move to find the space to make the run and pull the opposition apart now of course with graham potter sides there also has been this caveat and that's issues with set pieces this has followed them all the way from ostracons and at swansea i suppose it became most apparent where side conceded 22 goals in the championship from set pieces and that was the most in the division so of course spending a little bit of time if you're looking to you know mimic graham potter style his philosophy spending a little bit of time on the training pitch working on defending set pieces might not be a bad idea at ostracons there's been many there was many memorable results many memorable performances including the games against arsenal in the europa league but i suppose the game that grabbed my attention the most was the 2-0 win over galatasaray and it's something that if you look on the coach's voice the youtube channel graham potter does an excellent short analysis there on this game and that's where you know i'm going to talk about the tactical aspects here so taking what he said i noted it down i'm going to share it with you now 
So in this match, Osterson's set up in two way, set up with a three four three shape, and Galatasaray in a four four two out of possession. They anticipated Galatasaray setting up in this way, but due to injury to I think it was Jonas Balanda, Galatasaray started with this more traditional four four two shape. So Osterson's prepared and had themselves in a three four three, ready to achieve this numerical supremacy throughout the game. So what they did was they used the number nine, the centre forward, to stretch the opposition's back four and to open the space by lengthening the pitch, pushing right up on them, playing on that last line, playing on the last shoulder. The wing backs would then work with the midfield block, where the centre midfielders would then be behind the pressing striker to try and attract the opposition centre midfielders towards them and open up space in behind for balls to be played into. The back three of Ostersons then would be hard to press and they were willing then and capable of opening space and bypassing the opposition press. The wide centre central defenders would then be used to create overloads when they combined with the centre midfielder on their side and the wing back on their side as well. This would create numerical supremacy, creating overloads and let the team open up new passing options to work their way out of trouble and play through the lines. This, the key tenet in this game for Ostersons was to reduce the amount of time they'd spend out, they would spend out of possession. They would split the opposition's back four with the front three, so with the four, centre forward playing kind of on the, the shoulder of the last defenders. So using those three front three players to really kind of press that front that back opposition's back four and then when Galatasaray would push forward their wingers would push forward to create a front four so it would nearly be a 4-2-4 shape Galatasaray would be in so what Ostersons would do is they drop the wing backs to make a back five numerical supremacy 5v4 the centre midfielders would drop in front and the wide attackers would engage the full backs so that way then you've got a 5v4 at the Ostersons' very back line. Then across the midfield line it would be a 4v4 with the opposition's fullbacks doubling up with the two centre midfielders left behind in that 4 2 4 So it has almost become a 2-4. Yeah, a 2-4-4 shape there. What the back five would then be charged with when with this numerical supremacy would be try to defend the half spaces to close the channels in between them to stop the opposition exploiting them the wide forwards would close the gaps with the midfield too and then the, the striker himself would even drop back deeper and he tried to support the two centre midfielders in a triangle shape so the two centre midfielders with the striker at the tip of the triangle to try and create again a numerical supremacy a 3v2 in the centre of the pitch with two opposition central midfielders. When Ostersons would get regained possession, they would look to break wide. So the wide forwards would push push forward and push wide in transitions. They'd try and get in the spaces behind the opposition fullbacks and create outlets to break away on the counter. And then if the ball had been played at the centre of the pitch, these wide forwards would then drive inwards to support the striker. Or if the ball was on the opposite flank, they would tuck in to kind of create have two forwards then in the centre of the pitch while the ball was on the opposite flank. 
Now, football manager, this is not a difficult thing to do. Setting up in a 3-4-3 is not challenging. With wing-backs, not too hard. Using your striker as an advanced forward with possibly a pressing more option would certainly work there. With your centre midfielders pressing the striker to attract the opposition centre midfielders, again, you're pressing more. You could have them kind of, you could have them set to mark a specific position if you wish. With the overloads with wide central defenders, you could say that the wide central defenders would go push wider when in possession. And then when 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 finding the positions out of play, having the wing backs drop deeper could be a very simple thing to do to manage. You could have wing backs set up in a back five on attack, like that would have to defend more. Or if you're playing wing backs in the half kind of space with the defensive midfield strata, you could have the wing backs on defend. You could have the wing backs on support, so that they would find their way back to creating the back five. With the wide forwards closing the gap with the midfield two. You could have the wide forwards set to mark the rest the fullback on their side. And then for, you know, in possession, you could have your players play the ball into space. So on the counter-attack, setting up that option for the in-transition, you have the goalkeeper set to play the ball quickly, to play the ball to flanks then even. Put the ball over the top. And then have your team set up in that way. And this is not me telling you the exact way to do it. There would be a little bit of trial and a little bit of error there. But certainly it's something that shouldn't be too difficult to manage. At Brighton then, this kind of philosophy has followed through. And this season we've seen Brighton set up with that 3-4-3. And quite intelligently and pragmatically himself as a manager, what Potter has done is he's built on the philosophy of Chris Hewton. Chris Hewton, a coach who... Gets teams promoted and keeps them in the league almost. It seems to be his track record. It'll be interesting to see how he manages now at Nottingham Forest. So, Buchutin's sides have often favoured a defensively solid and well-organised style of play. Being a little bit more direct than what Potter has done. Because what Potter has come, instead has come in is built on this, prag, this pragma, uh, pragmatic defensive approach. But favoured a more possession-oriented style. So what Brighton have done is they've often had different shapes when attacking and defending. And this season especially, and over the past couple of seasons, it's made analysing patterns just a little bit difficult, more difficult. But what we've seen with Brighton is because they have this fluidity and flexibility to them, this allows the manager to alternate shapes during a game. Should a gap open up, a significant open up, so they can seal it or they can target it in the opposition. much to the team's distress and so that the team could be avoiding issues that they could defensively be facing so with Brighton the two kind of main shapes we've kind of seen have been a 4-4-2 or in which is in a narrow shape so that's with two kind of inverted wingers two kind of wouldn't say defensive midfield two kind of sitting midfielders two inverted wingers kind of then pushing in behind the two forwards are then instead of sort of playing kind of as midfielders rather than as attacking midfielders or then we've seen the 3-4-3 system with wing backs and I suppose uh, Solly March and uh, Tariq Lamptey have been excellent as the wing backs in the system this year building from the back maintaining possession and limiting time on the, the opposition's time on the ball 
something that grain powder used at Ostracons. It effectively worked against Galatasaray, and it seems to be working for Brighton as well. The forwards press high, the defensive midfield drop off, and they set the banks. They become compact centrally, and once the opposition builds down one of the flanks, Brighton removed the opportunity for the opposition to switch play either to the centre of the pitch or right across through clever positioning of the defensive lines in these banks. The centre midfielders play in a, and the central defenders, they play in a man-oriented manner. So meaning that Brighton always have a player ready to press whoever is in possession of the ball. So the fullbacks or wingbacks may even push up to press. What the central defenders will do is they'll hold their line and prevent any balls over the top. While this approach has many pros, highlights, you don't have to delve too deep and go searching for them too difficult to find highlights of how Brighton may be opened up by the gaps in the man-oriented approach in the middle of the pitch, where strikers and opposition forwards may often find success of moving through the lines and into the half spaces. The pressing by this Brighton centre midfielders also can leave the central defenders unprotected, meaning that although the team may favour a direct ball into the middle, the Brighton central defenders may win. There may be too much of a gap between the central defenders and the central midfielders that the second ball in this space may be easily picked up by an opposition player and all of a sudden Brighton find themselves on the back foot yet again where the opponents can control the game almost in the space between midfielders and the defence so addressing this as a football manager in the game would be a challenge so getting the roles right and the responsibilities and the mentality right that is very very important but in possession Brighton are very very exciting to watch we all know it the central defenders spread wide they drop deep as and build from the short balls from Matt Ryan who's a very adept goalkeeper with his feet so they build from the back Build from these short goal kicks inside the box. If you look at the central defenders that Brighton have used this year, we've seen them move away from the likes of Shane Duffy, a player who's not overly comfortable with the ball at his feet, as many would see the other central defenders at Brighton being much more comfortable. And then the centre of these three players will then act as a sweeper, so it's kind of dropping kind of in a covering position just behind. And Brighton will use these central defenders to also to play direct passing. They'll often look a little bit more direct. To buy to pass bypass the opposition press. And work with the, the dynamic running from the forwards. Or again, they could use the they could look for quick outlets, just get the ball. If they're receiving the ball under pressure, look to the wing backs or look to the central midfielder and look for the wide options and build along the touchline. And the versatility with these wide central defenders also comes in handy for the changing of shape. So where Brighton can often change shape in a game from using a back three to a back four, back four to a back three, very, very successfully. Just keep an eye on them this weekend if you can. Like I've already said, and I'm touching on again, the 4-4-2, the wide midfielders come inside, and that's again creating numerical overloads, allowing passing options between the opposition lines and giving the fullbacks then the space to push forward and overlap and create diamond passing patterns. So you might be familiar with the triangles of total football, but what Brighton will look to do here is to use these diamond passing options. So fullbacks, central defenders, central midfielders, and then 
the inverted wingers in front of them. Signing players like Lalana and Veltman last summer has also helped the club because not only are these players extremely talented and capable to ball at their feet, but they're also versatile players. And then when you've got exciting young players like uh, Tariq Lamptey breaking into the squad, breaking in at right back, all of a sudden his pace and ability on the ball for wide positions gives the opposition another worry, another threat to think about. No matter what Graham Potter achieves at Brighton, it's safe to say his target in players can be quite simply simply you know, detailed and denoted as players who are technically sound. However, when pressed, what we've seen from Brighton is that these players can often be forced into very simple mistakes when pressed well. This causes them to make simple errors and have turnovers in possession in key areas that possibly a team might not be able to afford a turnover in. And the susceptibility at set pieces has also followed Graham Potter from Swansea and from Ostersons to Brighton. And counter-attacks as well. Because Brighton play in this such possession-oriented manner, playing short, dynamic passes up the pitch, by committing these amount of bodies forward, Brighton have been susceptible to counter-attacks because of this possession-based style. And having so many players space across the pitch, the half spaces and channels open up the opposition players with targeting explosed with targeted and explosive runs can really really exploit and clever use of the ball can really put the Brighton defenders on the back foot because they can often be left you know stranded often left vulnerable because of the way the, the players in front of them have committed themselves forward 2019-20 was also a season for Brighton where a lack of goals kind of harmed the team as the team fell to 14 draws and 15 defeats from the 38 games. Not a look, 14 draws isn't bad, 15 defeats, but it was enough to keep Brighton up. But of course, a lack of goals, having a consistent goal score can turn those draws and defeats, you know, into point, into earning more points and being the difference between Brighton being a team that, you know, kind of just does enough at the bottom half of the table to the team that not only is a comfortable mid-table team, but could have an outside chance of even making it into Europe. Neil Mopay's all-round play this year has been very, very interesting to watch. The emergence and the dynamism of Aaron Connolly as well, they do offer threats for Brighton in front of goal. But neither of these players have really set themselves up They've set them as a part as regular goal scorers and threats to the opposition. But no matter what happens, and no matter what continues to happen, there is clear improvement in the metrics between Graham Potter's Brighton and Chris Hewton's Brighton. But cleverly, Potter's Brighton seems to be an evolution of Hewton's. Now, I know it's a manager in focus, but we're now going to just kind of push aside to the player in focus to a player in focus and I'm gonna pick Aaron Connolly for this. And the reason for picking Aaron Connolly and focusing on him and his role in the Brighton team is because I just feel he's typically what Graham Potter wants in a player. Now aside from my bias as an Irishman, Aaron Connolly has shown a lot of promise since he's broken into the Brighton side. 
when he announced himself on the scene last year with two goals in the win over Tottenham. Wearing the number 44 shirt for Brighton. This season we've seen him come out wearing the number 7 shirt. And he has looked impressive this season. He's starting internationally as well for Stephen Kenny's Ireland. But perhaps, and he's a very, very harsh critic of himself, Aaron Connolly. He knows he can improve and he knows how to improve and he knows what he needs to do to improve. But perhaps a lack of a regular goal-scoring threat from him means that many teams may not place a lot of emphasis on him in the build-up to a game. Now, there's an excellent analysis of Aaron Connolly's on balls.ie and that's what I'm going to draw on just here. Again, the link is found down below. There's graphics, there's metrics. It's, it's really, really interesting read. But what Aaron Connolly has done is he's possibly typified the approaches of Brighton this season. He's been an intuitive and hard-working player. Also lacking that killer touch despite the goals against Tottenham last season. What Connolly does is he favours finishes from a wide left zone of the box where he takes the shot from outside the post and then instead looks to curl and drift inside and curl a finish to the far right post. Now I don't know if any of you are familiar with Gaelic games. Gaelic games, Gaelic football and hurling are played of 15 men. Three, f- in terms of position, there's, there's, it's very, very kind of similar to football. You've got three kind of fullbacks. So we've got two cornerbacks, so a right cornerback, a left cornerback, and a fullback who's like the centre of the three. The three in front of them are your halfbacks. So your left halfback, your right halfback, your centre halfback. You've got your two midfielders. You've got your half forwards, your right half forward, your left half forward, and your centre half forward. And you've got your three full forwards, or You've got your right corner forward, your left corner forward, and your full forward who's in the centre. Now, Aaron Connolly grew up in Galway. Galway you know, is a dual sport county in Ireland. So what we mean by that is they're a county who are quite successful in both hurling and football and have a pedigree in both. So Aaron Connolly grew up playing Gaelic games as well as soccer, as well as football. And he was a, typically a wide forward. He was typically this kind of left wide forward, so as in the half, it's a half forward or a full forward, drifting inside. And of course, when you drift inside, you naturally have to put a curl on your fin on that finish to make it come inside the posts. So Connolly was known for doing this as a hurler for Castlegar, his local club. And it seems that he's taken this approach from Gaelic games and brought it into football. And it's really, really been interesting to watch that there's this natural player trait. Although it's been developed in another sport, a natural player trait. So if you're looking at the players in your squad, looking to build a philosophy like Graham Potter has, look at these player traits and see, can they enhance the style you're looking to bring in? Connolly, like all players in Gaelic games and hurling of football, you have to be a pressing, you have to be a hard-working player, you have to be able to run, and Connolly does this. And in 209 minutes of action this season for Brighton, Connolly has pressed 34 times. 38% of these have been successful in regaining possession for Brighton within 5 seconds. That's a fantastic number. A great return, 38%. And his movements in the final third as well have also been key. Because of his size, he's not the tallest, he's not the strongest. He can easily draw, and through his clever movement and play, Connolly can draw a foul very, very easily. 
Last season, he was fouled 2.7 times per, uh, per game. This season, the numbers dropped to 1.7. But still, for a player, having a player being able to draw two or three fouls per game, that can be key. Especially for a player who likes to drift inside the box. get Put the fullback on his back foot. Draw a foul. Get a free kick on the edge of the box. Or even a penalty. We've seen him do it so many times for Brighton. And then for Ireland he's managed to do the same. Excluding the game against Finland on Wednesday. The two Nations League games that he's played for Ireland. Beforehand. Conley was managed to draw nine fouls. So four and a half fouls per game. For a team like Ireland that's very reliant on set pieces for goals. That's a player almost worth his weight in gold. Now asking the community, everyone seems overall there seems to be a level of the community that is impressed with Graham Power. Overall, his style, his flexibility, it seems to be something the community favours. And it's interesting to see how that will develop going forward in people's posts, YouTube videos, Twitter threads screenshots whatever it is they share but if you were to kind of take some of Graham Potter's philosophy and apply it to your football manager playing time in FM 20 or 21 can it be a success yes it can Potter's tactical flexibility is something to be admired they're not the only manager in the world to use an approach like this and maybe not the one who's the best at doing it and if that's what you feel Brighton have shown them much promise this season and they're really putting down a standard, a precedent to establish themselves as a team who could cause plenty of trouble to opponents in the Premier League whether they're a big six team or a bottom six team. And while set pieces and other areas might be a problem to Brighton and their lack of a consistent goal scoring threat might be a worry as FMers we can make judgments with whoever we manage like Graham Potter is in real life to find the right players to end to kind of not end but to deal with these issues and strengthen in these areas and just make that system work and make that system take you to the next level but just before you do head off to adapt Graham Potter's magic to your tactics why not leave a positive review sharing your socials with your followers if you've enjoyed the podcast the feedback i've been getting is great i really appreciate it thank you so much to everyone out there the site and twitter handles will be found down below so everything comes on the site through the fm technical areas wordpress site so all my blogs and the like and as well twitter the links to me gaffer Graham, and the technical area again can be found down below we are the community interactions who form a vital part of the podcast. Thank you to everyone who did get involved this week. Poll, votes and polls, comments, questions, everything like that is most welcome. So thank you very much for getting involved. Ahead of FM21's release, a reminder that on November 24th release date, there'll be a live podcast with the time to be determined. I've just gotten the go-ahead today that I can take November 24th off first time i've ever taken fm day off so it might be an 11 o'clock podcast i'm thinking as i load up the game for the first time and get going with it it could be a 4 p.m podcast live podcast as i played the game for the morning had time to reflect and then gone in so let me know what time you think would be better 
11 or 4. And it don't, if you can't listen in live, don't worry about it. I'll be recording the audio and uploading it that evening anyway. For you to listen back to. So, you know, just let me know what time would be a morning or an evening, afternoon podcast. Which of those would work better for you. Music for this episode has come from Pond5 as always. If you want to get your own, check out Pond5. Fantastic resource there. Now there's more Football Manager 21 content starts to trickle out from SI, from their chosen creators. It's very important that, of course, we support it, we look forward to it. And, of course, be critical in, in a constructive way about what it is. Don't forget, this is only trailers. These are only ideas of what's going to come out. We won't know how useful they are. We won't know how influential they are until we actually get a hold of the game. So just be patient and take the news as it comes and then see November 10th potentially how things work, how things fit in. But until next week's podcast, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for checking out the content on the site and all of that stuff. Stay safe. Keep washing your hands, wearing your face coverings, keeping socially distant. If you're working from home, you're feeling a little bit lonely, you, you feel like you need to reach out to someone. There's a great football manager community out there. But if you feel like you can't reach out to the community, please contact anyone who, you know, one of these fantastic charities out there that are very, very supportive of people in these cases. These are not easy times. Normal years would say it's okay not to be okay. Well, trust me, in this situation, at this time we're all living in, it's normal not to feel okay. But if you do feel like you need to talk to someone, reach out. So stay safe. I'll talk to you next week with more Football Manager content. Thank you for listening. See you then. Bye now.